Now time for the BCHL Podcast. All the way in front, backhand, scores! Turn on the red light, the Capitals win it. Donaldson shoots, scores! Sean Donaldson shorthanded. Now one of a breakaway, in alone is Libel. Club save is Colby Hedquist. Nice move. Tanelli to the goal, to the backhand, scores! Cue it up. Tyson Dickett again, he scores! There's one for the highlight reel. Magnus all the way around, he scores! How do you do? Zach Michaelis, coast to coast! You go back to the goal! Oh, what a setup! Oh, me, oh my, put that a PCHL tonight! Hey there, welcome to the BCHL Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Adamson. We are back with another great episode with two fantastic interviews. Uh, But before we get to that, I want to let you know that the BCHL podcast is presented by Finning. If you'd like to learn more about Finning, please visit www.finning.ca. That's F-I-N-N-I-N-G dot C-A. All right. On this week's episode, we speak with a former BCHL player, a former pro hockey player turned mental health and substance abuse advocate, Brady Leivold. And we also speak with Nanaimo Clippers forward Brody Waters. First up is our conversation with Brady Leivold. For those of you that aren't familiar with his story, uh, Brady, as I mentioned, was a former uh, junior hockey player who played uh, for a brief time in the BCHL. He went on to play pro hockey, spent some time in the Tampa Bay Lightning organization, uh, but the entire time he was dealing with some pretty serious issues around mental health and substance abuse. Things ended up taking a turn for the worse. He ended up uh, quitting hockey. The uh, substance abuse addiction kind of took over his life. He actually ended up living on the streets for a while. And um, since then, he uh, he is back on his feet. He is sober for a few years, and he is now uh, an advocate for mental health and substance abuse, and he is sharing his story. So uh, he's recently been speaking with some BCHL teams uh, about his story, uh, so we figured it would be a good opportunity to catch up with him and talk about his story, his message, um, kind of what he did to get to where he is today. Uh, So that is our first interview. So it's a little bit longer than our normal interviews. So um, I'm going to stop there and let Brady take over and tell his story. So here it is, our interview with former BCHL player turned mental health advocate, Brady Leivold. All right, Brady. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for joining me. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, so you've been talking to, to some teams in our league uh, in the BCHL the past week or so. I know you've been talking to plenty of other teams around hockey as well uh, over uh, the last couple of years or so. Uh, so you have a, a long and complex story and it's hard to summarize in just a few minutes. But for those that aren't aware of your personal story, can you just kind of give us the rundown on what you what you went through uh, the past decade or so? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. It means a lot. And it certainly means a lot that some of these teams in the BCHL have opened their doors to me and, and allowed me in and share my story. And uh, yeah, it is a complex story and it's a hard story, I think, for people to hear. But it's one that's real and it's one that, uh, you know, I'm not the only hockey player who's gone through this. Uh, I'm just one of the very lucky ones that's still here to tell the story. So uh, I grew up in Port Coquitlam and like many of us, I, I had the dream of being an NHL superstar, primarily Pavel Bure. I, I <laughs> now realize that was ne- probably never going to happen, but that was <laughs> the dream was to be Pavel Bure. And 
Um, you know, I loved hockey. I loved to play hockey, street hockey, whether with my friends or by myself in the carport or on the ice, it didn't matter because it was my outlet. It was my escape because I went through some pretty traumatic things as a child. And, um, that was where I found solace. And because I did a lot of it, I got pretty, pretty good at hockey. And, you know, by the time I was 16, I was moving away to play in the Western hockey league, but my mental health was deteriorating because I wasn't talking about what was going on with me. Nobody had known what had happened. Nobody knew how I was feeling. I had this mask on or multiple masks of trying to hide and pretend and be whatever anybody you know, needed me to be or whatever I needed to do to fit in. And uh, I started to fall apart really quickly. I struggled immensely through junior hockey with, with drinking and eventually was introduced to drugs and it really pu- pushed me off the rails. And uh, by the time I was 21, I was signed with the Tampa Bay Lightnings organization. And during that year, my mental health and addiction, it really started to ramp up, but I was still able to kind of hide it from people. But what happened that year is I was prescribed painkillers from a knee injury and uh, you know, I had no idea where it was going to take me. Uh, certainly wasn't prepared ever in my life uh, would I ever believe that I would go down the path I would, which would end up taking me to homelessness on the downtown east side in Vancouver, to jail, uh, multiple overdoses and rehab stints and psych wards and suicide attempts, um, the lowest of the low. And uh, you know, growing up being that little boy wanting to be Pablo Ferre, if you would have told me at any time up until the time I was 18, I would even 20 that, you know, this was a possibility for my life. I would have never believed it. So, you know, I've been able to uh, battle my way out. It was uh, 10, 12 years of severe addiction. And, um, you know, it wasn't just like an overnight thing. It was, you know, I was really down and out and, and thought I was never going to get out of it and felt like I just wanted to die on most days. Uh, But by the grace of God or whatever you want to call it, uh, just coming up on three years ago, I was able to find the courage and strength to start to share my story and try to find some healing. And doing so, I found out that there were several other hockey players and people in general, but primarily hockey players, because that was my focus when I started this podcast. I started and the messages I would get and the stories I started to uncover of hockey players who had passed away from suicide and overdose is staggering. As we chat today, I know of 89 hockey players that have lost their lives to suicide and overdose. And in that moment, I realized I wasn't alone and that there must be more people struggling. And so that's why I wanted to share my story. And that's why I get out and, and try to share my story and give people, uh, you know, a little inside look on what my life was like and share the stories of others who are no longer here. And it's relatable to hockey, I think, for hockey players. And this is real life. You know, I always thought hockey was, you know, kind of filtered out of the drug scene and the party scene. I always thought hockey was that one place in the world that was kind of safe from all this as a kid. And the reality is, is there's nowhere that's safe. And this touches all facets of life. It doesn't matter how old you are, what sex you are, what race you are, what job you do. I've seen it all. And, you know, really just trying to use hockey as the vehicle to help people pay attention more to things like mental health and addiction, break down that stigma so people can find healing and people have a greater understanding. And uh, that's where the idea of puck support came in. I know I'm chatting a lot here, Jess, (laughs) but um, that's what I do. And and now running a nonprofit organization to primarily support hockey players with mental health and addiction. But we have goals of of being outside the hockey community as well and just trying to uh, meet people where they're at and educate and, and allow people to find healing in whatever way they need to, because there's just so many different ways. And I've been able to do that. So I like to be able to hopefully pass that on and, I think with the hockey scene, with the BCHL, 
you know, my story. I, I really hope that I can just help educate these young hockey players on things like painkillers and, and making choices. You know, there's parties, there's different things and, and how one choice can change your life forever. And, you know, it might not get through to all of them, but let me tell you, I know it's gotten through to many because I've gotten several messages from players uh, just in the past week that I've spoken to on a personal level. Um, and it just reinforces why I need to be out here doing this and, and others need to as well. And I'm just so glad that the BC Hockey League is, league has accepted uh you know my story and, and allowed me the space yeah and that's uh that's an incredibly inspiring story and obviously you're right it's 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 a tough story obviously tough for you to to hear what you you went through but um so so great that you've kind of come out the other end of it and are, are using it for positive so uh one thing i did want to ask i know hockey is such uh an important part of your life throughout your entire life and i don't know if you can uh you can uh, necessarily, um, I don't know if blame is the right word, but uh, hockey and, and hockey culture and stuff like that. But what, why uh, do you think that you kind of have a good relationship with hockey now? You, you, you might think that someone in your situation might um, not have a good relationship with the sport anymore. They, they might not want to be involved with hockey anymore, given what you went through. Why was it important for you to get back into the game and, and to give back to young hockey players? Well, let me tell you, Jesse, that there was a time not too long ago, you know, during that 10 year period where I resented hockey. I didn't have skates on for close to 10 years. I couldn't watch hockey. I blamed hockey for a lot of my problems. And, you know, in the end, I realized it was just a resentment against myself for the the lost potential, the lost opportunity. And, you know, I, I... never wanted to skate again. I didn't want to watch hockey and I thought I hated hockey, but really it was just, you know, I needed to look deeper inside myself. And I quickly found out that putting my skates back on, that was the initial uh, piece that got me going into my podcast and wanting to be part of hockey again. Because when I put my skates on again, I realized, holy cow, this is so freeing. I, I just remember being on the ice and feeling amazing. And I was like, yep, I love, I love this. And I need to find my way back. You know, there's pieces in there. There's things that I went through in junior hockey that it's a different time back then, but definitely played uh, a part in the spiral. You know, it being bullied and hazed, it was all part of the things that I went through. There's no doubt that hockey contributed to that. But the overall, just the, the great things that have come from the sport override all of that a hundredfold. And it's given me my life back. Like me... I, I don't know what I am without hockey. I don't know where I'm at in my recovery without hockey. It was the hockey community as a whole that kind of lifted me up when I tried to stand up again, you know, and, and they've been amazing to me uh, from the NHL down from players and coaches all the way down the support that I, and the community that I've felt from people in hockey speaks to, you know, just how important hockey really is. And it's not the game, it's the people, it's the community and uh, you know, I just feel that there are some issues there, just like anywhere, and that I have some real life experience that is valuable to, you know, maybe changing things moving forward. But it's going to take a, a collection of people and everywhere and communities and hockey rinks. And, uh, you know, we just have to be better. Everyone has to do better. And that's that's just how things evolve. We we like to think that things get better over time. And, and that's what I hope to see. And that's just what I'm trying to do. And, 
you know, to me, we've just lost too many lives in the hockey community. And, and I just, again, use hockey as the example, but because I have always identified as a hockey player, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not sure. But when I look at the pictures of the, the hockey players that we've lost, it, it just it breaks my heart. And I'm not OK with just sitting back and, and doing nothing about it, waiting for somebody else to do something. So that's what I kind of, you know, try to be proactive and get out there and do my part. And I just hope that everyone else can kind of do the same. In these talks with with young play, hockey players that you're having, like the the teams that you've talked to in our league and, and other leagues, have have you been surprised by anything in their reaction and the engagement with them? How have you found those engagements with those with those young players? And, and like I said, has anything kind of taken you by surprise? Maybe uh, some of the questions, some of the reactions. How, how has that gone for you? Well, you know, I don't think anything's been a surprise. Maybe early on, just hearing the messages that I would get or, or the questions, the people reaching out, um, that initially, I think it was surprising because I was like, Holy, there's a lot more of this going on than what I thought. And that could be any number of things through my story, through traumas I've had in the past. People come up to me and tell me they've been sexually abused and they've never told anybody before. And we've been able to work through that. Right. We had a young 14 year old girl in one of my talks last year reach out to me after and tell me this. Um, and I was able to, you know, talk with her for a brief period of time until we were able to bring her parents in where she was able to, you know, then take it. They were able to take it to the police and, and she's been able to find healing since then. And, and now she's not dealing with that on her own at 14 like I was. And then I turned to drugs. So to me, stuff like that, that was really surprising early on. And just to realize that whenever I'm doing this, wherever I'm doing this, there's always people struggling. But or somebody that's gone through something or somebody that's hearing something that's relatable. And, um, you know, I think it's for me talking to the young junior players, it's been uh, just an absolute pleasure and it's been fun as hard as it is. It's been kind of fun. And I was talking to my girlfriend about it and she brought up a really good point because you can see their moods change in the room. They're all kind of sitting there laughing, joking. They don't really know what to expect. And I can kind of level with them because I'm a player and I know what they're thinking. I know they're sitting there going, Hey, this is just another presentation. A hurry up, man. I want to get out of here. Like I, you know, I tell them, I'm like, I've been you, I've been sitting there. I've done all this. Right. And yeah. they laugh and they joke and I can kind of level with them. And I start to tell, talk about their, my hockey. And as the time goes on, they start to engage more and more where it's kind of laughing, joking. They're laid back by the end of it. They're all on their, their knees, on their, on their thighs, hands on their face, just like staring at me like in disbelief because it's not just my story. I share the stories of my roommate, Mitch Fadden, who passed away from fentanyl overdose. He was a two-time WHL all-star. He was my roommate in the American Hockey League, gone of an overdose. And two other brothers that went to a party one night, they weren't drug addicts or anything. It wasn't a prolonged period of time. It was just one choice one night where two brothers went to a party and they both experimented with drugs and they both overdosed in the same night. Just an unbelievably tragic story. And those are the stories that I leave these young hockey players with so that hopefully they can, you know, make better choices moving forward. And, you know, if they are going through something, whether it be today, tomorrow, or, you know, somewhere down the road, that they can remember that they're not alone and that they can ask for help. And hopefully they remember my story who didn't ask for help and tried to do it on my own and try to be the tough guy and all of that and where it took me. So 
you know, to be surprised now, no, but I love to look in there in the back at the young hockey players, especially the, the change in their face to be these young cocky kids. When I start and they're like, <laughs> ah, you know, I got this. And then by the end, some of them look like they want to cry or they're just captivated and they'll crowd around me after and they're asking questions. And, you know, I'm able to show them some footage of my Instagram because I'm, you know, I do some skill stuff and it, for whatever reason, my hands, I think maybe even better at 35, even though I didn't do anything for 10 years. So I can kind of level with them, right? Show them that I still got it on the ice and I'm doing this stuff. So it gives this unique kind of perspective, I think, especially for hockey players, because they're like, holy, you know, he's actually pretty good at hockey and look at this skill, but holy cow, look at this story. And um, it's just been, it's really enjoyable for me. And I'm really hopeful that it's leaving an impact, even if just on one of the hockey players, if we can get through to one of them, that maybe will go down something like I went down, if we can, you know, stop that or help make that, you know, path different then everything I've gone through is completely worth it. Yeah. From, uh, from what I hear, it's, it's definitely having a positive impact. So, so that's great to hear. Hey, one of the, uh, one of the more, uh, heartbreaking parts, uh, just reading up on your story was, um, kind of the role that your dad played in it. Um, yeah, in, in the, the stories that I I've read, he was, he was out there looking for you some nights when you were on the streets. Uh, he, he brought his, his firefighter buddies with him sometimes as well. Uh, what can you say about, uh, your relationship with him and kind of how how it helped you get where you are today. Yeah. I mean, my dad was my best friend growing up and that was a relationship that really took a, a beating maybe for lack of better terms. I took advantage of my dad and, and hurt my dad and, uh, you know, would lie to him and steal from him and do all the things that you hear people in addiction do things that I would never, ever in a million years do if I wasn't addicted. And, um, I honestly thought that him and I were were probably never going to have any sort of significant relationship again. But I'm happy to you know, say that him and I are closer than ever, though I live in Ontario and I don't see him very often. I talk to him more now and the, the, the stuff we talk about is real. I'm not you know, it's, it's amazing because for so long I was always hiding things. I didn't want to, my dad to ever know I was hurting or what to go. I was protect. It felt like I would want to protect him, but in the end it, it just made things worse. So now, even though things aren't perfect and maybe he doesn't always like what I'm going to say or like what I'm going to do, um, I'm just able to be who I am and, and him and I have such an amazing relationship and to know the, the things that he went through, uh, due to my choices and my addiction breaks my heart. There's no doubt. Um, but he was there and he never gave up on me. And there was times where he had to pull back and, and, you know, stop enabling me in a sense where it probably wasn't easy for him. It, you know, let me kind of figure things out on my own, but uh, he's right there with me now and he's wearing all his puck support stuff and <laughs> handing out my business cards and trying to get me speaking gigs. He's playing agent for me now too, in all the ranks because he's, he's a scout in the Western hockey league and he's in the, the rank all the time. And, uh, he's always, Oh, call this guy, call that guy, you know, reach out to this guy. He's handling. So he's, uh, I think he's a proud dad and, uh, it, it feels pretty good. So you talk about, uh, the, the hockey community helping you, uh, in your sobriety, you talk about yourself kind of reaching out and asking for help, but, um, like specifically, like how, how did you do it? How did you get sober? What steps did you take? Um, how did you manage to accomplish that? Yeah. I tried everything in the past, everything you could possibly think of, the amount of times I would go to rehab, the amount of meetings I've been to, the amount of time, everything. 
And through it all, I was never willing to get honest uh, about my childhood trauma, the fact that I was sexually abused. And it's still not easy to talk about, but I, I talk about it a lot now so I can kind of say it fairly easily. Uh, but I never told anybody about that. And so it didn't matter how what I was going to do or what I was what form of treatment or anything, if I was never willing to get honest and actually address that and some of the other things I've gone through, then nothing was going to change. So for me, that was the biggest, the biggest piece was just accepting that and then moving forward with it, getting the, the counseling that I needed and just being brutally honest and having to cry through it and get angry through it. And it, it wasn't easy and it's still not easy, but that was the biggest piece. Uh, I didn't go to treatment or anything this time. Like I told you, I went so many times that I developed all these tools over the years that were just waiting to be utilized. But, but because I was never willing to get honest on that final piece, they were kind of irrelevant because the trauma would just take over and I'd be stuck in that cycle of, of self-medicating and wanting to make myself feel better. So once I was able to get vulnerable and find that strength, that's really where it started for me. Putting my skates back on was the next step. And then my podcast, I started a podcast, it's called Hockey to Hell and Back. And, you know, it's gone very well. And, and the support I got, it gave me a sense of accountability. And then from there, we're able to build a sense of community and, you know, started Puck Support. And, you know, if you go on Instagram at Puck Support, that's our, our business or charity, nonprofit side. Um it's, it's really its own community there where people are supporting people and they're hockey people and every day getting messages uh, on there and on my personal account. So for me, it, it kind of developed this own community and start to talk about this stuff and allow people to be vulnerable and connect. And that is for me is why I've been able to heal is being honest, being vulnerable, and then people helping people. People helped me, right? And now I'm able to help other people. And um, that's where I found healing. So looking back on your, your hockey career, I mean, despite all the trouble and hardship, you were obviously a really good hockey player. We, we talked about some of your accomplishments and stuff like that. You, this is a BCHL podcast. You were great in your short time in the, the Burnaby ex, with the Burnaby Express. You put up great numbers in WHL. You attended Tampa Bay Lightning uh, camp. I believe you skated on the line with uh, Steven Stamkos at Prospects Camp as well. So when you look back at that, like, do, do you have positive memories about that time or is it just too clouded by all the other things that you were dealing with? Well, I think, I think I can paint the picture in my head that they're nice memories and there's pictures and hell I'm wearing a NHL Jersey. That's pretty cool. And the yeah, picture with Steve Stamkos there playing with him. I think you look at something like that and that's a pretty big accomplishment, even though I never made the NHL full time or anything like that, still hit a pretty high level of hockey. And it's like, Hey, you should be able to reflect back and be like, Hey, that's pretty amazing. That's a great accomplishment. But for me, if I really think about my time through there, I was just so not okay mentally that I was just hanging on for dear life. And hockey was probably helping me hang on for dear life because that was my only little bit. And even when I was on the ice, I was a nervous wreck and anxiety and all the things I was going through with my mental health. Um, I just remember if I, if I really put myself there, I, I wasn't okay. Right. And, um, 
there's definitely great memories and I, I have so many amazing memories, but from a personal standpoint, I just wasn't okay because I was hiding everything from everybody. Right. And I'm just in such a better place today, but let me tell you, I've developed some amazing connections and friendships and, and ones that are still there today and have rekindled and people that I've met along the way that have now come back. And I think I told you, hockey has given me everything in my life and has allowed me to rebuild my life. And it saved me once again. So just a couple more here to finish up. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know we're going a little long. Uh, you mentioned your podcast uh, a couple times. Can you just give us a little more details? What exactly is the podcast about? What's it called? Where people can, uh, where can people find it? Yeah, hockey to Helen back, hockey, and then the number two Helen back, and we do. I do them live. I do live shows typically on Monday nights. I've taken a couple weeks off here and there, and recently I haven't done one. I. I had Aaron Volpatti on a couple of weeks ago was the last one that I did about his new book. Um, but yeah, we, we, I like to bring on people who like to talk about mental health or addiction or, uh, you know, some, something that they've overcome in their life, often retired hockey players ranging from past NHLers down to guys who made it to junior and something happened really, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, stories in there about hockey not always all the good um often we do have fun on there it's not always serious but it's just a very open podcast where you know people come on and they share vulnerably and you know live people can ask questions and if you don't watch it live it's on youtube monday nights 8 p.m eastern uh, and it's available on spotify and apple Podcasts and all those places we've done like close to 200 episodes in the last couple of years um, so it's been really enjoyable and that's where it all started for me. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, Sportsnet did a story on it when I first started. And I, I think if I don't take that chance and start the podcast, I have no idea where I am or if I'm even alive today. Last one here. I know we've kind of touched on this throughout the interview, but um, if if you're speaking with someone who's speaking directly with someone who's dealing with substance abuse, mental health issues, facing trauma, uh, what what do you say to them to kind of pick them up a little bit and uh, and and sh- let them know it's going to be okay? What's your what's your message to that person? Yeah, well, I it's I get a lot of messages, and I try to connect with as many people as possible. Um, you know, the, the big message is that people are not alone, regardless of what you're going through. It might not be the exact same situation, but sooner that people realize that it's okay to talk about what we're going through, whatever that is, like people just have to start talking about it and, and, and people have to start listening and being open-minded and, and people in general need to do a better job educating themselves um, to be there for when people do uh, go through what, any number of things, but for someone who's sitting alone and, and feels like, you know, they're really struggling or they want to get better or that they feel like they can't go on anymore. You know, I try to, that's why I try to make videos and, and post, uh, you know, almost every day where there's some sort of message in there about, you know, keep, keep going. I, I still struggle myself every day. And that was a piece for me as I started to, navigate recovery I, as i told you so many different times over the years get sober relapse get sober relapse and coming up on three years and never i never even got close to this in the past it would be six months and i'd be gone um but to to be able to just be patient with yourself and understand that it's not going to happen overnight and that there's still going to be hard days there's days when i still feel i can't get out of bed and that's okay 
And, you know, I'm able to talk about that and I have a support system. So finding the right people um, and being able to be vulnerable, that is that is game changing. And just people, if you're listening, if you're watching, you are not alone. There there's people out there that know exactly how you're feeling or very close to and people that care. I am certainly one of them. And it's it's just keep fighting, keep fighting. Life can get better. Life can get better. For so long, I blamed everybody else for my problems. And I find that a lot of times that's how we feel because it, it just feels like we've been attacked. I was abused at five years old. Like, I can't control that. I can't change that. That was an attack on me. So for so long, I was in defense mode, blaming other people and different things. But at the end of the day, I stood up and, and made a conscious decision that I'm going to take power over my life. And I'm going to stop blaming other people. I'm actually going to forgive anyone that's ever harmed me. And from there, I'm able to start to heal. So it's not an easy process, um, but there there's a different forms of healing for everybody. And and big piece for me was finding that right person, that, that trauma therapist uh, to help me navigate my darkest times. Well, Brady, I uh, just want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with, you, with me today. Thank you so much for sharing your story uh, with, with us here on the podcast and with uh, young athletes uh, everywhere. It's, it's very inspiring and so glad to hear that you're, you're doing well these days and uh, all the best to you going forward. Hey, I really appreciate it. Thank you to you and, and the BCHL. And if anybody is out there that watching, uh, listening to this, you can find me on social media at mental health hockey, check out at puck support, puck support.com. Uh, I don't have all the answers, but we are currently working on building a team of people that hopefully can, can really make a difference in people's lives who are struggling. So um, yeah, greatly appreciate your time as well. And, and allowing me the space here uh, to, to t- tell my story. It's not easy. And some people, I'm not sure they're ready for it, but let me tell you, my last thing I'll leave you with is that I talked to a lot of family, hockey families who have lost loved ones to suicide and overdose. So they never thought they would lose their child. You know, they never thought their, their son or daughter would be, become mentally ill to the point where they took their own life. They never thought their son or daughter would become addicted to the point they would overdose and die. And they all thought, not us, not our family. And they all think. I wish we would have done more. I wish we would have been more open-minded. I wish we would have talked to our kids more. I wish we would have been. So my advice to people is be open-minded. Don't wait for a tragedy. Don't wait for a crisis. Be ahead of this. And uh, yeah, again, people, you're not alone out there. You can find me on social media. I'm happy to hop on a call anytime. Thanks so much, Brady. Thank you. Huge thank you to Brady Leavold for sharing his story uh, with us here on the podcast, with BCHL teams, with with young athletes everywhere, and really just sharing a story uh, with the world so uh, people can can learn from it and maybe apply some of those lessons um, and those experiences that he went through to their own lives uh, so they don't have to go through the same thing. All right. Shifting gears here and doing a complete 180. Um, we want to get into some BCHL hockey talk. So uh, we caught up with Nanaimo Clippers forward Brody Waters. 
Brody Waters is in his third BCHL season, all with the Nanaimo Clippers. Uh, the 20-year-old forward is the BCHL's fifth leading scorer uh, with 35 points in 26 games. Uh, and he is uh, a part of the offensive charge for one of the top teams in the BCHL, the number one seed in the Coastal Conference. His Nanaimo Clippers approach the weekend with a 22-4-0 record and 44 points, which sees them seven points clear of the next closest team in the conference. So uh, we caught up with Brody uh, to talk about his great start to the season, his experience with the BCHL so far, and also looking back to last year at the Clippers' uh, lengthy playoff run where they made it all the way to the league finals. So uh, let's get to it. Here is our chat with Nanaimo Clippers forward Brody Waters. All right, Brody. Well, uh, you come into this weekend's action, your fifth in league scoring with 32 points in 24 games. Uh, you're just one back of the team lead in points. Uh, what's been clicking so well for you so far this year? I think the group overall has been really good this year. We've uh, we've a really deep team this year. I think we've kind of proved that with our start so far. We've been able to uh, come off to a pretty hot start, but uh, yeah, I think my individual success uh, is uh, because my uh, line mates, uh, especially Kai. I know uh, he's really helped me throughout this uh, year, and uh, putting, he's been putting pox in the back of the net. And yeah, it's been working out. Yeah, just looking at your stat line the the last few years, you actually already have more points this year than you than you did all of last year. So um, clearly, you've kind of taken a, a pretty significant step forward in your game. Uh, what can you attribute to that? Why do you think you've been able to be so much more productive this year compared to previous seasons? Uh, I think there's a couple things. I've uh, been working out uh, TNTs in Waterloo over the summer, and uh, they've really helped me get uh, bigger and stronger. But also, I uh, did a lot of on ice work this summer and uh really like helps with my skill and uh confidence and i think i can attribute my success to uh those things so just want to go back a couple years like a lot of players that are currently thriving in the league uh you made your debut in the bchl during the pod season um obviously that was a pretty unique situation uh but for you being introduced to the league coming out west in such a, a difficult and unique environment what was it like for you to have your rookie season be uh, in the pod year yeah no it was uh it was a really weird year um we played about 18 games with the uh, island teams and for the island cup we ended up winning that and then a lot of our players went to the ushl because there was opportunities for them there and we weren't playing and then uh yeah in the pod we kind of had a diminished team and uh but made made it work most uh most of the nights but uh yeah it's uh, been really it's been a really different uh year that year compared to last year and this year just uh just a style of hockey and uh, pace i think it's uh i think last year is a lot faster than the pod so going going even farther back before you joined the clippers uh you played uh for the elmira sugar kings in the gojhl for those that don't uh know that's a, a junior b league in ontario that produces a, a lot of good talent and and a decent amount of players do end up coming out and uh playing in the bchl so uh what can you say about that league and the time you spent there and, and why do you think they can uh produce so many players that go on to have uh even more success beyond that yeah, no, uh, 
I uh, grew up just outside of Elmira, so uh, it was a childhood dream of mine to play for the Kings. And, uh, yeah, I think that league's a great development league uh, to get you to the next next spot. I know uh, a lot of young, a lot of younger guys uh, go to that league just as a kind of stepping stone to go either with either the OHL or the NCAA route. And I know it uh, really helps a lot of players for the most part. And yeah, I uh, really enjoyed my time there and uh, couldn't say enough good things about Elmira and the program they got going on there. And then when you were uh, finishing up your time there, what specifically made you want to make the jump to, over to the BCHL? Did you know much about the league at the time? What, what went into that decision to come out to Nanaimo? Yeah, honestly, I'd, uh, I'd heard the uh, BCHL is uh, uh, the best junior league to get to the next step, which is uh, NCAA. And I firmly believe that's true. I think this is definitely the best league in Canada. And uh, yeah, I really wanted to challenge myself and uh, try to come out here. And yeah, it's uh, taken me where I wanted to go so far. And all I want to do now is uh, win the Fred. Um, another player that broke into the league at that same time as you and you already mentioned him is uh, your line mate Kai Daniels Uh, the two of you are neck and neck in scoring Uh, you mentioned how he's been putting the puck uh, in the back of the net quite a bit so uh, what can you say about uh, Kai and the chemistry that the two of you have on the ice yeah no it's definitely something special Uh, going going to the rink every day and playing with my best friend it's a pretty cool thing and I know uh it's going to be different next year if uh, we don't end up going the same spot. So, uh, but yeah, he's a, uh, he's a great player. He's really smart. And uh, we communicate a lot of like uh, where, like where we want the other person to go and whatnot. And so, uh, yeah, it's really good. And we normally end up finding each other in open ice and uh, yeah, then the rest is history. Yeah, you mentioned that you two are, are best friends, best buddies, and uh, you, you do see that sometimes. Sometimes that relationship off the ice does translate to on the ice success. Why do you think that is? Uh, why do you think uh, uh, a good relationship off the ice, why do you think it can kind of translate sometimes to success on the ice? Um, I think it's just uh, you kind of get a lot of chemistry with them. Like, uh, like we kind of just know where each other are going to be, and like it's really easier to communicate with each other without it coming off the – uh, come off the wrong way which is uh, something special so i also uh you can confirm or deny this i heard a rumor that the two of you are, are uh, often late for things together <laughs> is that true do you guys uh, do people give you a hard time about that or <laughs> oh no we're, we're late to video once and uh it's followed us <laughs> oh it's just followed us around just one time hey and they, they can't <laughs> let it go yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we won't hold it against you. Uh, so uh, last year, you were uh, a part of the Clippers team that went to the Fred Page Cup Finals. Um, the the team ended up finishing third in the regular season, but went on a, a pretty incredible run during the playoffs. You swept the first three rounds of the series, uh, ulti- or of the playoffs. Ultimately, ended up falling short in the end. But uh, what stands out to you about that run that you guys went on last year? Um. <laughs> I think uh, just the team buy-in. Uh, everyone, everyone wanted to win, and uh, I think we all had an idea of uh, what it takes. And I've just never been on a team that would block so many shots. We had unreal goaltending, and uh, our defense were so solid. And we had 
we had everyone pitching in on the offensive side. It was really a special run uh, to go there and to fall short. Uh, yeah, it hurts, but uh, there's this year, and I know we got a really good squad this year, so we're hoping to get finished, get the unfinished business dealt with. Yeah, the, this year you guys are tops in the Coastal Conference. You have a twenty-four and O record. Uh, record. Um, I, I know it's. I don't know if it's possible to carry momentum over from the end of a, a previous season to the start of the next. Uh, but um, how how much of the, the your start this year? How much do you think has to do with that success you had down the stretch last year and in the playoffs? Yeah, I definitely think you could uh, attribute our success last year to this year. I think we all the returning guys kind of came in with the idea that uh, we can do this and that uh, we can be the best team in the division as long as we uh, bring it every night. And I think for the most part, that's what we've done. We've uh, had a couple bad games and uh, result, resulting in losses. But yeah, for the most part, I definitely think we've carried on our momentum from last year into this year, and uh, we just want to keep on going. So there's obviously similarities between last year's team and this year's team, the, the carryover between returning players like yourself. Um, but what are the differences when you when you look at this year's roster and this year's uh, the makeup of the team? How are you guys different from the team last year? Um, I think offensively, uh, we kind of had that uh, – Thompson, Fraser, Itagaki, we kind of relied on them a lot last year to do some of the heavy lifting, and uh, I know they produced really well, but uh, this year I kind of think it's uh, more of a more so all the lines are contributing to the wins. Uh, everyone, as I said before, everyone on our team can play, and uh, I think we've shown that throughout the first 24. Yeah, and one of your kind of biggest uh, co- competition for top spot in the conference is the Surrey Eagles. They've also had a really strong start there in second place, uh, just three points back of you guys with the same amount of games played. I know you've had a couple of matchups uh, already with them this year, been a couple of ex- exciting games. Uh, even going back to last year, you guys uh, swept them in the first round of the playoffs. So uh, what can you say about that, that bit of that rivalry that's been building and, and how do you think the two teams match up? Yeah, I think uh, Surrey's a really skilled team. I don't think they're as uh, physical as us. But, uh, yeah, I know from last year they definitely weren't happy with how the first round went. So um, I'm sure when they play us, they're uh, giving it a bit extra just because they want to stick it to us a little bit. But, no, uh, they're a good team, and we got to respect that. But uh, we just got to be confident that uh, we can win every night. And then I just want to finish up. You uh, you recently announced your commitment, NCAA Division One commitment to Bowling Green State University. Uh, what was it about Bowling Green that was uh, the right fit for you? Um, I really, really liked the coaching staff. They seemed awesome. I had uh, Coach Burkus reach out to the former captain, uh, Scardina, and he asked him what uh, he thought of it, and he gave his honest opinion. It was nothing but good things. And... Uh, yeah, I uh, really liked the fit, and I uh, couldn't be more excited to go there next year. Yeah, you're uh, you are an O2, so this is your last year of junior hockey. Um, so, uh, how much excitement is there to to go next year? You you know for sure that'll be your next next stop. Obviously, you have like you said unfinished business here in the BCHL. You you of course want to finish off with a championship, but how much are you looking forward to actually getting there and starting your college career? 
yeah, I'm pumped. I, uh, I've heard a lot of good things about it and I, I just can't wait to see it for myself, but, uh, I know we have some stuff we got to finish here. So, uh, also really excited for finishing the year and what we can see what we can do in playoffs all right brody well that's all i got for you uh also looking forward to seeing what you guys can do uh, the rest of the year in the playoffs and best of luck to you and your teammates thanks uh, thanks a lot for your time yeah thanks a lot for your time too jesse appreciate it all right that does it for another episode of the bchl podcast Thanks to my guests, Brody and Brady, uh, Brody Waters, who you just heard from, and of course, Brady Leewold, who shared a story with us at the top. Be sure to follow us on social media. We are at BC Hockey League on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, uh, you can stay up to date with everything involving the BCHL at our website at bchl.ca. Just a heads up, we are heading into the final weekend of play in the BCHL before Christmas break. So we have games Friday and Saturday before uh, some time off. And then the league will resume again uh, with regular season action on Friday, December 30th. A couple more thank yous before we sign off. First off, thank you to uh, Finning, our presenting sponsor of the BCHL podcast. And of course, as usual, thank you to super producer Greg Ballack for stitching this thing together behind the scenes. Given that this is the final episode of the BCHL podcast before uh, the break, I just want to wish everyone a happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, uh, happy Hanukkah, however you celebrate, and of course, a happy new year. So uh, everyone stay safe out there. Uh, Enjoy the the holidays with your family and friends, and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks for listening.